Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 82, How to Lament. Yes, welcome. My name is Lori Krieg, and I am the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries, and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I am here with licensed therapist and Argyle expert and my husband, Matt. Hello. Hey, hey. We also have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi. Hey, hey. Today, we are talking with a brother from another mother whose <laughs> article on lament on the Desiring God site, it caught my eye. People were like, posting it and, and referring to me in it. Um, and he seems to love lament like we do. And his name is Mark Vrogop. Mark, welcome. Thank you for having me on. Great to be here. Yeah. Well, for those of you who do not know Mark, uh, he received his MDiv from Grand Rapids Theological Seminary here in Grand Rapids, which Matt Krieg, you have familiarity with. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> with that place. He received a degree from there, too. Uh, but Mark is lead pastor of College Park Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. He is a trustee at Cedarville University, council member of the Gospel Coalition and author of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Mark and his wife, Sarah, are the parents of four children. Mark, we're really looking forward to hearing how we can practically lean into this too often forgotten spiritual discipline. But before we dive there, let's get into the question of the week from last week, which I was inspired locally because here in Grand Rapids, which Mark, you li- did you live in Holland for a while? Holland, Michigan? Yeah. My first church that I pastored for uh, almost uh, 12 years was in Holland. Well, hmm. we were in Holland this weekend, and so that's what inspired this question, because there's a thing called tulip time, uh, where people dress up in old-timey Dutch clothes and painful wooden shoes and dance around in streets, etc. Uh, so I asked you all listeners, what's a funny, ridiculous tradition your culture has? And so we'll hear from some of the listeners and, and each other around this table, but Mark, let's start with you. I don't know where Vrogop comes from, but what's what's a maybe a semi-hilarious tradition that your culture has. Well, man, Vrogop is as Dutch as it comes. Hey, brother. My my father was born in the old country. So, yeah. So crazy tradition that our family has. Hmm. We, I don't know if it's crazy, but um, we like to um, spend time early in the morning drinking coffee and uh, going for early morning runs. So that's, I mean, that's not super, super um, crazy yeah. out there, except for the fact that my last name in Dutch means early up. So <laughs> we're doing what our name calls us to do. That's wow. awesome. Well, way to be, way to, way to fall in line with your culture. <laughs> so yeah, Matt Krieg, Krieg is German war strategy. Well, the Blitzkrieg is. Yeah, Krieg is German for war. Um, I am not making war other than on the, you know, forces of hell, I guess. Way to um, go. Yeah. Anyway, German. <laughs> so I had to, I have a, a nice little shout out for Nathan on Facebook. He also has German roots and he said that he celebrates sausage day. <laughs> Is there really sausage day I, in I'm or trusting that him that there every is. Every day is and, sausage And that's what day. he says. Sausage day happens to be every day. And that one, <laughs> that one just made me laugh actually out loud, literally out loud, because that is a, a running joke in our small group that I love sausage. <laughs> and, and at one point was waxing poetically about just the sound that sausage makes in a pan. And now it's like... Mm. That's what the guys know me for. They're like, hey, it's Sausage Guy. And it's, 
not really, but but it's, it's just a yeah. Because we were vegetarian for like six months, and Matt li- like literally six needed months? to. We didn't I was. Make it six you months. didn't make it. I made it. You didn't. But I made Matt it about six days. Yeah. Lamented. Uh, speaking <laughs> of his missing of sausage. All right. How about you, Steve? Uh, well, I appreciate what. Faye shared, also German. She said, sad to say, I haven't explored my ancestral culture much, and we weren't really anchored when I was a kid. However, knowing that half my roots are German, I'd say Oktoberfest is kind of funny, ridiculous. A month-long license to get drunk and party. Um, And she says, uh, for all their uh, seeming to be stern and stuff, those Germans can be uh, a lot of fun. And I kind of, when I read that thing about Oktoberfest, I was like, Faye, okay, Germans have October." For us, it's March because St. Patty's Day, that's when uh, the people um, from my culture use the excuse to, uh, you know, get drunk and party a lot because I'm Irish. Seriously. I don't really play along, but it is something that's kind of fun to make fun of. Well, and following in that same theme, here <laughs> is my friend, Elle Phoebe, and she on Instagram, and she said, we have a lot of those or these whole like ridiculous traditions mm-hmm. in Hungary is where she's from. Mm-hmm. She said, for example, on Easter Monday, which is the national holiday for us in Hungary, the whole male population will go and visit their female relatives, neighbors, and friends to sprinkle them with perfume after they say some ridiculous little poem about women and asking if they may sprinkle them. Okay, hang on. Bear with me a couple more sentences. (laughs) Then, of course, you have to say yes. And then the men either get booze or money and the boys get chocolate and money. And believe me, there are a lot of rich boys and drunk men on the streets on Easter Monday and a lot of women hiding away, not answering the doors wow. or smelling like patchouli for a week. It's nuts. And she's like, talks about like how somehow it's supposed to symbolize like Christ. And anyway, it's, she just said it's ridiculous. So that I think maybe wins and yeah. even over my Dutch dancing world. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for uh, submitting that, friends. And I'll, I'll give you another question of the week at the end of the show today. And to respond, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. And again, that German name, that last name, I went from a Dutch one to German is K-R-I-E-G. But now, Mark, just to get to know you a little bit better before we dive into the how-tos of lament, we're going to take a little vacation from our problems and go to Goofball Island. <laughs> And we've taken this trip before. The Lazy Susan is our vehicle because we're going to play table topics with you. Uh, And so these are just random topics that I have pulled up from the Internet or my brain. And I just want to ask you this, uh, perhaps some questions you haven't been asked by others on your book. And so the first question for you is, what was your first car and what does it say about your personality? It was a uh, Chevy Cavalier. Yeah. Uh, It was a piece of junk and we <laughs> painted it a beautiful red color. Um, and what does that tell you? It tells you that the Vrogops will paint anything to make it look good, even if it doesn't, isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> is this, is there any metaphor for like painting, you know, people or like shining up the outside, but the inside is, I don't know. And I'm thinking Pharisees. <laughs> Well, we could go there, or you could just say that's just really frugal. <laughs> there and Dutch. There we go. We're mm-hmm. coming back. Uh, is is that a, a stereotype or a, a a staple like of Cavalier owners? Because I've seen multiple Cavaliers like with the bumper sticker. So easy, a Cavalier can do it <laughs> on the back, and and so I don't know if that's just like a people that buy Cavaliers know they're kind of junk. 
and then dress him up as something else. It must have been. <laughs> either, either way, they just they seem a little cavalier about the whole thing. Hey, oh, hey. Nice very job. good. Thanks. All right, Mark, what is the best part of your day? Mm, the best part of my day is the morning. So I'm a I am a morning guy. I love getting up before anybody else is up and a fresh um, original roasted, I roast my own beans, oh, uh, cough, cup of coffee when, um, the sun is just coming up. That's the best part of my day. Mm. And then you go for, what's your usual run? Uh, about three miles. Okay. That's nice. I am a runner as well when I am not eight months pregnant. <laughs> okay. Last question in these three before we dive into the heart of the matter. So speaking of lament, what is the Disney Pixar movie you can't help but cry over? We all got one. Oh, man. Uh, Inside Out. Oh, yeah. Has to be. Yeah. And which part? Is it Bing Bong? It's usually Bing Bong, but where is it for you? Oh, uh, you know, I would have it's I, I don't remember the movie well enough to know the exact scene, but it's when they're explaining the um, the core memories and, um, you know, how good events and bad events just serve to define, you know, somebody. Yeah. I, I, I was like, OK, yeah, this is a little too personal. <laughs> like easy there, Disney. <laughs> easy there, Pixar. You're reading my journals. <laughs> All right. Well, let's shift into the heart of the matter. And so, Mark, we ask every guest this pair of questions. How was the gospel, which is I'm more loved than I can imagine and more sinful than I believe, how is it first good news for you and how is it still? Mm, great question. Uh, first good news of it was, uh, you know, as a, as a kid raised in a Christian home, for some reason I um, generally understood the content of the gospel, but in God's providence at a a uh, particular, like a vacation Bible school or something. Some uh, wonderful woman was giving a um, beautiful explanation of what the gospel is through flannel board of all things, or oh, flannel yeah. graph, I guess you could say. <laughs> and my eyes saw what I didn't see before, and I went home and went in a long walk in the woods, and on my own was gloriously converted, walked into the woods unconverted, walked out a converted man, young boy at the time, I guess. And, um, Still good news because that relationship with Christ and knowing that um, my sins are not only forgiven, but that Christ is my life is the thing that defines every, every, every part of my very being. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful, ongoing reality to live in. I love it. And just for our listeners, we like we're looking around at each other because we keep we interview different people each week. And it's so profound how there is often someone actively taking a role to either minister to kids mm. to share the gospel or just openly share it. And so it's just telling me right now, man, that's something that we need to lean into as a whole is how do we share the gospel, the plan of salvation with people? So anyway, thank you. Food for thought. Um, but you wrote this beautiful book on lament, but what is it if someone's listening for the first time, what is lament? Yeah, simply stated, uh, I define lament as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So every one of those words are important. Uh, it's a prayer, so I'm talking to God. I'm in pain. That's what's created this unique prayer language. There's lots of ways for us to pray, but lament is a unique way to talk to God when I'm 
really struggling and in the midst of uh, hard moments of sorrow. It's a prayer in pain that leads. So lament is meant to be a journey. It's not meant to be a a cul-de-sac of sorrow, but rather a a conduit through which we push our pain through. And then that leads to trust. So the end game for all lament is not just a emotional vomit of what I'm feeling, but uh, a moment for me to recommit my heart to what I know to be true. But when you're suffering or in hardship, it doesn't feel true in the moment. And Mm -hmm. so lament helps me to believe that God is worthy of my trust and that I can place my hope in him. So Mm -hmm. lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Mm -hmm. So as we are walking toward the how to, you know, if someone's listening, they're like, well, I haven't gone through any like major suffering. Is this practice of lament just for someone who's like, well, I've gone through major suffering or is it for everyone who, who needs to practice this? Lament is for everyone because everyone experiences some level of brokenness. All of us have sinned and continue to sin. All of us experience injustice. Uh, So wherever there is brokenness, wherever there is sin, you'll find lament because it's the language of how Christians are responding to the brokenness in the world. So if Mm. uh, many of us find and discover lament rather accidentally, we are walking through a difficult season. And uh, I've had many people tell me reading my book that I just explained the last 10 years of their life uh, (laughs) as they read my book. Um, Others, I encourage to practice lament and more of the um, smaller disappointments in life. Uh, for instance, I was doing some teaching for some uh, moms with very young children, and I said, look, when you're up late at night and you're really frustrated that your baby won't sleep or the feedings aren't going like you want, take time to lament, talk to God about it, so that when other scenarios happen in your life later on that are more consequential and even stronger in terms of their implications, that you'll have a well-developed lament muscle. Hmm. And so um, it's not only needed for those who are hurting or those in large or small ways, but also to know how to help a friend who is going through a season of difficulty. So whether you're hurting or not, uh, I think all believers need to know what lament is all about. I love you're talking about that muscle to develop because it it is one that is not our autopilot to go from pain to God. It's usually pain to self or to other people or substances. It's not the autopilot to go to God. And so I love how that's a muscle we can develop so that when major suffering or more than kid up in the night happens, that's our auto response. So Mark, when you first discovered this, when, when was that? Was it accidental? How did you run into it? Yeah, it was accidental, um, although maybe we should say providential, uh, through the course of uh, about a 15-year journey um, that really uh, began in specific earnest in 2004 when my wife and I had a stillborn uh, baby daughter who passed away just a few days before delivery. Mm. And that sent us into an extended season of uh, grief and recovery um, after her uh, birth and death. Uh, we had multiple miscarriages, a false positive pregnancy. Uh, it was uh, mm-hmm. it was a really really difficult season, and in the course of that, I just felt like something was missing in the conversation about grief and how we process pain. As I tried to share with people, kind of this this gut level struggle that's going on. I believe, but ah, I'm really struggling. 
uh, I just I found that uh, people were uncomfortable with either our honest um, portrayal or explanation, if you will, of what was going on in our soul. And the more I began to kind of explore that reality of how do we talk to God honestly about our pain, the more the Psalms uh, in particular started to really resonate with me. Hmm. And then through some teaching in both of my uh, churches, and especially the one here in uh, Indianapolis, just began to see that the more I talked about sort of this um, darker language or this lament-oriented theme, people just started coming out of the woodwork. And what was interesting is the more fruit I saw in people, sort of the deeper I started to go into this subject, and then even exploring the book of Lamentations and how that serves the church and just been on an exploration of what lament really is all about, how to practice it. And and frankly, I'm still doing that. The book was just kind of a a singular step in um, trying to figure out all of the implications. And I'm even working on another project right now and the implications of lament for racial reconciliation. So I think Mm -hmm. lament just has a a broad-based application that uh, I'm just beginning to get my head around. So it's not your natural default. So, because there's people who I think maybe look at me and the Enneagram fours, we were talking about that last week, like those who are like ethereal and seem to like float above the earth and, you know, talk about these dark places in their heart. So this wasn't like a natural default for you to be like, I need to go to this, the depths and experience God here. No, it it isn't. Um, Yeah, I, I say in my book, very few people set out on a journey to study lament. Right. Um, most of us kind of back into it and we are like, man, this this is really helpful after we've sort of been walking through um, a season of suffering or, you know, frankly, we go to the Psalms and we love them. And why do we love them? We love them because they give voice to what we feel like. I felt that like mm-hmm. I've I felt in my soul, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I felt that, you know, how long, oh, Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 13. I felt that. Mm-hmm. So. Bible gives us a language that we can then use to talk to God about what we're feeling. But I find that most people need permission. Um, and a lot of Christians think that lament, um, or at least the words that you might use or the tone, um, could be borderline sinful. Right. Uh, they see things in the New Testament where it says to be joyful in all circumstances. And that's true. We are to be joyful in all circumstances. But the question is, how do you get there? And I think lament offers a really helpful path. You mention in your book how you can tell the difference between people who have learned the language of lament and those who haven't. What what character qualities or how do you sense that? Yeah, people do, who know how to lament are comfortable with saying less or nothing. Huh. They, uh, they intuitively have a heart that's um, oriented towards empathy. Um, they don't panic when their friend says something that's edgy or uh, a little scary in terms of what they're walking through. It just seems to me that those who uh, understand lament and those who've practiced it have an ability to, to navigate the world of grief and sorrow, much like if you were to be dropped into a foreign culture and suddenly you speak the language and your ability to navigate is just so incredibly different. Now, other people can still navigate. It's just that those who know the language are able to do it with a greater level of competency and also compassion to help people who are really hurting. And there's just there just is a world of difference um, 
and, and then even just a, an ability to um, hear the story underneath the story. Uh, this is not just a grieving person, but they're actually worshiping in their grief, and some people might miss that. Um, and there's some reasons why folks tend to miss lament as a, an important language. Well, what I, I so appreciate that because I hear in, in what you're saying that there is this profound trust in God. To be able to rail on the chest of God in, in lament means you believe the chest of God is there to rail upon. And so when someone is coming to you broken and bloody and in pain, you're not panicked because you know where they can take this. You're not panicked because you don't have to deal with it yourself. You don't have to fix their problems because you're not God. But you also know that there's a big, broad chest of God where you can direct them. Yeah, you think of it almost like a, a really good professor who's been asked really complicated and tough questions like a hundred times. Yeah. And and a student who's just freaked out because his worldview or the categories of his brain are exploding asks a, a rather emotional question. And I've been in classrooms before where that's happened. And the seminary professor is just like, they're not phased by these scary questions because they've answered them over and over and over and over. Right. Or a parent who has a child that is struggling with particular um, questions in life. Uh, but the parent, because of their life experience, isn't panicked because of those questions being asked. I think in the same way, um, the lament allows us to talk to God about what we're feeling. And what's funny is God God knows what we're thinking anyway. It's not as though he's surprised <laughs> by our questions, our fears, our doubts. Um, I, I do think that we you could be sinful in how you approach the lament. I think you could be sinfully angry at God, and lament doesn't give you an excuse to uh, pour out your self-centered, you deserve, I deserve a different life perspective, but instead it allows us to take our honest struggles, our real wrestling with brokenness in the world and say, God, I know the plan of redemption. I know you could come. Would you please just help me? Mm -hmm. And um, I think lament gives us a language to talk to God that way. And it's not only helpful, but I, I think it's spiritually um, refreshing in mm -hmm. what it offers to us. Oh, yeah. So you say in, in one of your articles, and you may also repeat this in your book, but I might have missed it, but you say, to cry is human, but to lament is Christian. What do you mean by this? What I mean is that every human being enters the world and we all do the same thing. Uh, we cry. And it's just so interesting to me that what a remarkable statement that the first sound that we make is a protest against the cold <laughs> world in which we've just now entered. Yeah. And Life is uh, full of crying, and lament is not just crying. Lament is talking to God about what causes the crying. So of all the people on earth who ought to know about lament, it ought to be Christians, because Christians know what lies underneath all of the brokenness. It's yeah. sin. And they also know what the solution is. It's Jesus. They know the, the long arc of God's redemptive plan from creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And Christians long for the completion of that plan. They long for the promises of God to be uh, mediated into their world right now. They know what God can do. And so I argue that, that lament is essentially Christian because we talk to God about the difference between what we experience and what we know to be true about him. And if anyone on earth ought to know and feel that gap, it ought to be Christians. We know God is true. We know God is faithful. Mm -hmm. But we also know life is really, really hard. So good. 
Well, can can I jump in for a second? Because you said some some fairly profound statements, and um, one of them was, you know, even just in, in making this correlation between a, a kid who is going through something painful, who's wrestling with some form of, of suffering, and, and they're talking with their parent, and their parent isn't freaking out, their parent isn't... Um, is, is capable of navigating those, those murky waters. Um, and, and I've seen the response from, from kids who, whose parents didn't respond that way, who, who actually didn't have parents who, who helped them navigate the waters, but maybe freaked out more and, and then sent them into this silencing. And, and I see that kind of mirrored in, in the church when it comes to lament, it's, it's almost like we've been taught that God isn't actually a loving parent who, who knows how and wants to navigate those waters with you. So instead, we, we close off to him and we, and we do the stoic, you know, heartless kind of stance of, no, I've got everything together. Everything's fine. We're all fine here. And I think that that also leads people to, to walk away from the church because the pain is still there. You're just not able to express it. And, and is this like process of, of, of learning lament, this journey that you're on, and it seems to be like you're teaching it to your churches and you're writing books about it. Is this something that is, is so intrinsic to the nature of Christianity that when people suffer and leave is the fact that they haven't learned to lament or haven't learned the heart of God at the core of that? I think it is. Um, I think that's one major reason. I think there's others as well. Uh, I think you've correctly diagnosed um, much of the problem. It seems to me that many Christians fall into one of two ditches when it comes to how they process pain. And we sort of learn this culturally, and depending on sort of where, where you're from or what your background is or church experience is, you might tip towards one or the other, one being the ditch of despair where this pain comes and the person is like, I can't do this. Uh, God's not fair. This is one I signed up for. And in some cases, they they walk away from Christianity in total. Uh, the other ditch uh, is the ditch of denial, where they just come to church and like, no, everything's fine. Praise God. We're good. And inside they have all these questions, but they don't dare talk about them because real Christians don't ask these questions. Uh, yet at the same time, a third of the Psalms are lament. Mm-hmm. So you get your head around that one out of every three songs in the official songbook of God's people, songs that had music and were sung, reflect this sort of minor key tune. And so I think that we're not only unfamiliar with lament, but I think our churches generally are lament light, and we don't have historical experience with lament. And we, we don't know that it's okay to talk to God about this way. It's not modeled in our preaching and our singing and our praying. Um, and part of it is that we have perhaps not just a wrong view of God, we have a wrong view of what Christianity is, that mm-hmm. we don't know the connection between suffering and sanctification. We don't know the, uh, the, the deep link between God's sovereignty and our sorrows. And I think that's an important piece that lament at least can help to be a guide through that, those things. Hmm. All right. Let's go there. Let's talk about how we actually lament. And first is just a matter of form. Does it need to be written like these Psalms? No, you certainly could speak it. It could be quick. It could be um, something where 
you're just talking to God about what's going on in the context of um, of your heart. Uh, typically, though, laments have four elements or some combination of these elements because it's music and poetry. You, you can't approach it linearly, but structure is helpful at least to kind of think about lament. And often lament has a what I would say is a turning to God in prayer. So I choose to talk to him about my pain instead of giving him the silent treatment. And that in and of itself, as I've taught on this, has been super helpful for people just asking them, so what have you stopped talking to God about because you're so disappointed that he hasn't answered? Hmm. And just to kind of re-engage him and talk with him. And if you're disappointed, tell him. And that leads to the second one, which is complain. So turn, complain, where we lay out what's wrong in clear and sometimes very blunt forms. And there's some really blunt things that the psalmist says, things that <clears throat> if said in the context of a small group might make people really nervous, but they're just quoting the Bible. So turn, <laughs> complain, ask, ask God to fulfill his promises. So I reclaim the promises of God, things that I believe are true, but pain and suffering makes me wonder, are they really true? But by rehearsing those truths, by rehearsing the gospel, it increases my confidence in it. And then ends in trust. So turn, complain, ask, and trust, where we reaffirm that I'm going to trust God. I choose to put my trust in him. And that sort of regular rhythm of prayer through lament helps to strengthen our faith while also allowing us to be very honest with God about how deep our struggle is. Hmm. But how honest can we be? You know, so we've had Michael Card on here who's written a book on lament, and he talked about how never does God say, how dare you say that to me? And so we were talking about in the context of lament and hesed. Um, but in, I was looking at numbers 14 and the Israelites, there are complaining against God and he's like, goes, God goes to Moses and he's like, yeah, I'm going to kill him. And Moses goes to God and he, you know, does some basically bargaining for the Israelites. Um, so what's the difference between grumbling against God and complaining to God? I think the difference is the, the starting point of what has created the complaint so in the case of the Israelites, or when I sinfully complain, my starting point is, I'm owed this, I deserve <laughs> this, um, and therefore I'm frustrated or angry with you that my life isn't turning out like I've wanted. The starting point for lament is, God, I know you're good, and here's what I see in your word, here's what I see about your promises, and I don't know, I can't explain, and I can't figure out how this fits. Like. <laughs> I, this doesn't make sense to me. And it, it comes from a position of humility, but an honest wrestling with these two things don't go together. Hmm. You know, it's one of the things that you see in the book of Lamentations that Jeremiah, with the smoldering ruins of Jerusalem in front of him, proclaims over that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So his mercies never come to an end. He proclaims a statement that's true about God that the landscape of Jerusalem would not verify. And in that moment, he exercises a great amount of faith to say, no, God is still good, even though this is true. Mm -hmm. And so Lament enters the space and says, how do you reconcile these? And it asks really good questions of God about his character, not about why he hasn't stepped up to give me the life I've always wanted. Which, okay, so then that brings me to the last step, which is trust. And you keep alluding to that. Like, so we have this starting point of like, okay, God, I see you. I got you. But now I'm going to pour my complaints out to you. But if I put myself in your shoes of when your daughter died a few days before birth, or again, here I'm sitting eight months pregnant. If that happened to me, 
I don't know if I could get to the trust point. I may just be complain, complain, God, who are you? What are you doing? Do you have to, do I have to say in my lament to God in order for it to be, I guess, lament official, um, do I have to say, but I trust you or can I leave it there? Well, my counsel would be if you leave it there, then you haven't completed the lament yet. Hmm. Now, it may be that that, that lament is going to take you weeks to process. It yeah. doesn't mean you have to process it every day. What I encourage people to do is to realize that sometimes um, we need the affirmation of truths that we know are true but don't feel true. And by reaffirming them, they actually begin to feel true when before they didn't. Um, in other words, I'm going to preach the gospel to myself, even though I know the gospels to be true. There's sometimes it doesn't feel as true as what it actually is. And I think if you don't reaffirm trust, then all that lament has become is simply a vocalization of your pain, which that in of itself is helpful, but it's not complete until it's come full circle. Um, it's, it's, it's the solution that you find in the book of Job where God never tells Job about the behind the scenes drama between him and Satan. Right. Instead, what he does is he points Job to himself, asking him, Job, where were you when I drew the lines in the skies? Where were you? And, and he does that because who God is, is more comforting than why he does what he does. And that's another reminder that God is God and we are not. And lament by working through it to the point of trust helps us to be reminded of that, which is the ultimate thing that is comforting as opposed to the relief of the suffering that's in our lives. Hmm. Well, and I think about that still in the context of the first step of turning. So if lament doesn't need to be complete, and here's my five minute of pain about my child dying, you know, but it's a ongoing, like, God, my heart is towards you. I am angry. I am what it, like X, Y, Z pain, Point, complaint and asking. But with this still turning posture, heart posture toward God, I may get to that trust point at some point, but it may not be in these five minutes. Well, for sure. I mean, one of the things I say in the book is that grief isn't tame. Um, what can also happen is you could get there in five minutes and then five minutes later, you're right back where you started. I mean, that's, that's what's so scary about pain and grief is it's not entirely manageable. Mm -hmm. And I think it's um, a reminder that we are not as in control of our lives as what we think we are. Mm -hmm. And what lament does is it gives us a language for us to talk to God about the sorrows in our soul and a direction to point us. I remember having a conversation with a guy one time who was really working through some pretty tough stuff. And he was like, I look at Psalm 13 and I just, I can't sing because you have dealt bountifully with me. And I said, okay, well, you're just, you're making your way right now. You're, you're not in verse six. It sounds like you're in verse four. Well, <laughs> praise God. You were in verse three, six weeks ago. He's hmm. like, yeah. So he's moving, but it, 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 it takes some time. Uh, my only encouragement to people would be, uh, I've seen folks that have gotten stuck in complaint and they never get out. And, uh, that's, they're, they're never helped by that. Hmm. I think there are moments of, um, of great faith that's needed to say, God, I'm going to choose to trust you in this, which looks like I'm talking to you, even though I'm really hurting. And I'm going to trust that your word is true, even though that right now, I don't know if it is. And I'm going to believe that you're for me, but I feel like you're against me. And that's a lament and that's beautiful. And at least you were talking to God. Hmm. That's really helpful. 
So, Mark, where do we do this lament? Uh, is this all alone? Is this in couples? Is this in small groups? And what's what's that power if, if it is done in a group? Well, the answer would be yes to all. Uh, <laughs> I talk about the way in which it can be a personal um, prayer time. It can be uh, in the context of a small uh, group. Um, seen that happen. Um, we've, as a church, you know, done this uh, corporately uh, when there's a, a substantial um, thing that we're mourning as a, as a church, or uh, even something that happens culturally. You know, it was a shooting in. Uh, our area a year or so ago, and I wrote a lament uh, prayer just to help our church understand how do you process uh, a moment like this. It should affect how we write songs. My goodness, if you look at the um, you know top 100 songs in the CCLI, the Christian um, Contemporary Music you know licensing, you know lament songs are barely barely three percent. Hmm. Um, so it 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 can show up wherever there's pain or brokenness and wherever Christians are, lament should be at least at some level part of the conversation. Okay, real quick, go back to the corporate lament. How did that sound in your church? Like, was it just like reading what you wrote or was it like, okay, we're all just going to talk to God at the same time in this sanctuary? Well, yeah, sometimes it sounded like that. We read maybe a, a lament um, prayer, confessing our sins all together, uh, or um, we've uh, used a, um, during the season in Lamentations, uh, had somebody pray a lament prayer about um, sex trafficking in our city, which is, uh, at the time, was, was, um, was really bad, or to pray a lament prayer collectively on our behalf about a, an abortion a clinic that's just a couple miles from our our church, and this this thing is there, and people drive by it every day. But we're so inoculated to its presence that we forget how horrific it is. So lament can be like uh, a memorial, like think of it like the Vietnam memorial that reminds you, hey, this happened, and there's lessons that can be learned here. Um, or it can sound like um, a person uh, just lamenting. Uh, the tension that they're feeling with the unanswered prayer that they've been uh, uh, asking God for for a long time. Uh, so it takes on all kinds of forms, some written, some spontaneous. Um, you know, one time I was leading a prayer time for our staff, and I just gave them you know, five, six minutes and asked them to write out a, a prayer of lament, given kind of where they were, and then invited them to come to a chair in the middle of the room and sit there and read that lament prayer to us. And then we had people come around and pray for them as they were, you know, making their way uh, through their, their various uh, uh, trial that they were walking through. Um, so we've used it in lots of different uh, settings, uh, used it on our civil rights uh, vision trip with 50 leaders. And we would study a lament prayer in the lament Psalm in the morning, and then wrote our own lament prayers in light of what we had seen the day before. And, that then opened the door not only for some great spiritual conversations with the Lord, but also some great cultural conversations with one another hmm. about racial harmony in the context of the church. So lament has a wide application. And it's so needed today. You just think about how much, how isolated we are, you know, blah, blah, blah. We can look at all the statistics, but the statistics are real. And so we really need a place to take this pain and that's to a real God and in real community. All right, Mark, if someone's listening today and feeling a stirring in their spirit as far as like, ugh, I need some of this, uh, this lament in my life. I got to get some of this 
gunk in my chest out. What's a good first step? Yeah, I'd go to Psalm 13. I would just lay it open and I'd read it aloud. And it's a short psalm. It's a poignant psalm. And then what I would encourage them to do is to take that psalm and then go verse by verse. Verse 1, what do you see in that psalm when you just read it? And then what would it sound like if you were to write your own in, the, in this moment? In fact, in the back of my book, I've got a little worksheet in the, in the appendix that does this. So on the left side is write out the psalm and take each of these elements, turn, complain, ask, and trust, and then write your own to mirror uh, what you see in the Scripture. And in do, so doing, it helps us not only to be given permission to talk to God this way because you see it in the Bible, but it also allows us to personalize it because now I'm taking the content of the scriptures and I'm making it live and work in the world in which I live. So good. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your mind and your passion for Lament with us today. Oh, it was great to be with you. I appreciate your interest and uh, love your podcast. Keep it up. Thank you so much. We will connect you to Mark's book, his articles, and his social media. We, you guys, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know that we do love lament. We're a little <laughs> lament obsessed around here, and we're so grateful for more voices teaching us the words and that minor key tune of lament. Now, for those of you who are joining us next week, here is our question of the week. And this is the week we're going to have Dan Allender on. And so we're going to ask him and ask you all, what is something God has been teaching you lately and through what medium or media? Steve, you're writing for the media, yeah. professor. Plural is media. Okay. So, <laughs> and through what media? <laughs> so a devotional or a book or life experience podcast, your version of suffering in the season. So what's God teaching you and through what media? Uh, to respond, friend me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's Lori underscore Creek or write me at podcast at HIMHministries.com. Additionally, speaking of the social needs on Facebook, I just started a new Facebook group, the Hole in My Heart podcast group. So it is a hidden one or you can find it if you search it so if you guys search it and you can interact with other people there who are listening to this podcast i just wanted to create a separate space because i know you you all reach out to me and i love it please keep doing it but i i wanted to connect some of you to each other uh just about what you think about this podcast etc so find me there on facebook the hole in my heart podcast group and i'll add you all right. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. You that's get, you true. Get I would be sad you get if different I missed feedback, Steve. especially about the podcast. That's than you true. Because right. he was there the whole time. Right. Yeah. It's all about the me time. then? I just want feedback about the podcast. Oh, it's always all about you. <laughs> ow, I didn't even get to hit you. And then I said, ow. A swing and a miss. Okay. <laughs>